What is up? Welcome back, everybody, to the show. This is For Pod's Sake with Sean Callahan. Today, meat. What is it good for? Um, No, actually, in all seriousness, uh, a new study has come out published in the Washington Post showing that air pollution from farms, primarily from uh, animal agriculture, leads to at least 17,900 excess deaths uh, of Americans per year. So that's a new study that's come out in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So uh, I'm just sitting here. It's a cold morning uh, in Byron Bay, having my lovely hot coffee. And we should uh, talk about where we are in the year 2021 with meat consumption. And I say this as a pretty hardcore meat enthusiast. I'm sorry to say, sorry to admit it, I just love eating meat. And I always have. It's not just taste or flavor. I feel better when I eat meat. I've tried and failed on at least three occasions to go vegetarian. Um, The last one I did was when I was about 30 years old and I was traveling through India. So I went with a couple of buddies of mine, backpackers, and just full uh, full disclaimer, disclosure, too, too late in life to go to India, folks. If you're a traveler, a backpacker, try and get there. I mean, once this pandemic is all wrapped up and the world goes back to normal, however long that will be. But when things go back to normal, and if you want to travel, it's something you do in your early 20s, you know, when you're a bit more open-minded, you're a bit more flexible, able to deal with things. But I went late when I was 30 pretty much at the tail end of my backpacking career. And I tried to go vegetarian. I was really afraid of getting some sort of, you know, meat food board Ill- illness and uh, being wiped out for my 15 days while I was there. And <clears throat> so I ate a lot of, you know, dal and lentils and uh, stuff with, you know, cheese, different dishes. And the food is absolutely delicious in India. But by like about day 10 or 11, I was so weak and tired, I couldn't get out of bed. I had a full day. Me and my buddies were down in Goa in southern India, which was our time to sort of chill out because we had traveled all over really rapidly. We'd even taken a, a 37-hour train ride from Varanasi all, to, all the way to Mumbai. So I spent the entire time reading Going Clear, which is Lawrence Wright's book on Scientology, and eating 10-cent samosas that I'd get wrapped in newspaper at each train stop from these young kids. And... Yeah, I failed to go vegetarian. I've tried. I've had girlfriends in the past who were vegetarian or vegan trying to, you know, do this. And for whatever reason, with my body, or I just don't understand the science, I've failed and I've I've felt so weak and tired, I've had to go back to eating meat. But having said that, the science is coming out more and more clearly that eating meat is bad for the planet. It's bad for our health. Uh, or over the or the overconsumption of meat, but it's not just now what we choose to eat. It actually affects other people. So there was this study that's just come out, um, focusing primarily in North Carolina. So if you don't know much about North Carolina in the United States, that is like the hog capital of America. So many hog farms, massive, massive production for the rest of the country, and um, 
this study focused on some of the pollution coming emanating from these hog farms. And it's pretty outrageous. Um, the amount of uh, gases and combinations of methane, ammonia, hydrogen sulfide combining in the air. And this is spreading, you know, from these hog farms to the nearby surrounding communities. This stuff is thick in the air. And, you know, people who live nearby complain constantly of having headaches, breathing problems, stuff leading to heart conditions. And, you know, obviously, all agriculture will produce some form of air pollution from what you're doing, just like pretty much every other activity in life. But animal agriculture is the absolute worst culprit. It's responsible for 80% of these excess deaths that they can relate to in this study. So essentially, it's gases from manure and the animal feed create these sort of small lung irritating particles that can drift for hundreds of miles from the farms. And what was so shocking is that these emissions now cause more deaths than pollution from coal power plants. Now, it could be the fact that there's just fewer coal power plants uh, as we shift to different technologies, but, uh, and since the, the scale of agriculture in America just specifically is so large, but that's shocking that more people are dying from pollution from hog farms than they are from coal power plants. Um, and that's the thing is that there's just less regulation when it comes to animal agriculture. I mean, America has the Clean Air Act. I'm sure Australia and every other country has some sort of environmental protective legislation, which, you know, focuses on things like factories and regulating car emissions, uh, power plants. But there's a lot this uh, animal agriculture, and especially in America, sort of has coasted under the radar as a cause of pollution. And it could be as a result of the power of the beef lobby and the hog lobby and dairy and, and all these other hugely powerful um, lobbying organizations on behalf of these industries. But it's it's very loosely uh, regulated. And now this is the first study of its kind. And again, it's just one. So you can't really make any definitive argument uh, based on just one thing. But it is telling the research, showing how many people are dying unnecessarily from this pollution, from this large-scale industrial farming that we've gotten into. Now, part of this study um, points out that the, the health effects from pollution, it depends on a lot of different factors. It'll depend on atmospheric chemistry, uh, the local weather, the size of the communities living near. Um, but essentially, farm pollution is most dangerous when it's upwind of densely populated areas. And the study focused on a few different areas of the country. It's, um, you know, California's Central Valley, which so much agriculture and production comes from California. Um, and I, I know that just from having lived there briefly and traveling through there, it's, um, it's massive, the, the Central Valley. And it also focused on the Corn Belt of the Upper Midwest and the uh, area of Eastern North Carolina. And I can attest to this just from my own personal experience. When I used to work for a travel company, I, um, I spent about six months crisscrossing America. And I've referenced this in other podcasts. It was one of the best summers of my life. It's extremely hard work, but I got to basically get paid to go on road trips around America. And so I saw a lot of the country. 
And there was always one drive in particular when I would drive uh, east out of California, I think, into um, into Arizona. I can't remember if it was coming out of the area around Death Valley or a little bit further south. But I would take this one highway and I would drive past this massive, massive industrial uh, sort of cattle factory farm, I guess is what it was, because this was out basically in the desert. And these, you know, rows upon rows of these metal sheds, and I'm talking thousands of cattle. And when you would drive past, even with the air conditioning on, the windows closed, this this horrible smell uh, would would waft through the bus, and it was really pungent. It wasn't just like manure or anything else. It was like a chemical, foul kind of smell, and it was essentially the pollution from this massive industrial feedlot. So I and there was a town right near there. So I can't imagine what it would be like for the people of that community to be living with that sort of thick haze and smell and all those fine particles in the air all the time. It would be atrocious. And they talk about this in the studies that the most dangerous type of air pollution um, comes from particulate uh, matter, which is uh, or particulate particulate matter 2.5 which are tiny particles that are 1/30th the width of a human hair and they lodge in lungs and uh, they could be absorbed in your blood and cause asthma and other breathing problems heart disease cancer strokes and these particles come out from tilling the fields and burning crops and then animals kicking up dust in these large feeding operations and this primary uh, PM, particulate matter, is associated with 4,800 premature deaths a year, according to this study. Now, the other thing is there's a secondary particulate matter, uh, and that's generated when emissions from farms mix with other gases in the atmosphere. So, for example, ammonia, which is released by manure and fertilizer, will combine with nitrogen and sulfur compounds, and this creates these small hazardous particles. And ammonia is the worst of these. It accounts for roughly 12,400 excess deaths a year. Um, and that's it's kind of understanding most people, most Americans, you go to the supermarket, you pick up a thing of minced meat, or uh, whatever, chicken, you know, pork, whatever the case may be, you get it, you know, wrapped in plastic and you're out the door and you don't really think about, you know, because they have these nice marketing images on uh, on the packaging of this small little farm, you know, a little cartoon cow next to a red barn. That's not what we're dealing with in this modern day and age. These are massive industrial operations. Uh, it's It's factory farming, essentially, is what this is. And so a lot of these beef and pork and these dairy facilities, what they do is they store the animal waste in these huge lagoons, which is just a absolutely disgusting. But these massive waste lagoons, almost the size of small lakes, where microbes will break down the feces. And then that releases huge amounts of ammonia into the atmosphere. And so some of these operations, they'll actually spray you know, get gather up some of this this waste and, you know, suck it up and spray this nitrogen rich liquid waste on the nearby farm fields. And that's a sort of a massive source of contamination, as you can imagine, in the air. People who live nearby these um, these places, they talk about how it's just a constant smell 
Um, it's constantly, you know, it's just so overwhelming that the breeze that goes into their house, you know, it's carrying this offensive odor that they, people will start gagging, just coughing if the wind whips up. Um, and a lot of people who have protested against this, they've since died of lung related issues. So, you know, just try and imagine what it's like for these people in these communities. Imagine living and you try to open your windows, you know, on a hot summer day and just, you know, relax in your own house. And there's literally a, a sort of a gas cloud of shit and piss, which just wafts past your house and comes into your house. You can't go in your backyard. You can't do anything. You can't drive in town, walk around that this is a haze of thousands upon thousands of animals and that's hanging in the air. Think about what would that that would do to your health. So, you know, ammonia it, it comes from a lot of different things, but it'll also come from you know, too much fertilizer being put onto corn crops. So you say, well, corn, that's, that should be, you know, it's vegetarian. What's the big deal? But too much fertilizer on the corn crops. And since in America, so much of America's corn doesn't go to feed humans, it goes to feed animals. So those emissions are actually counted in the study as part of this pollution footprint. And it's part of a larger issue, probably even for a separate episode of how America sort of lost its way in the sense of subsidizing corn to the point where they overproduce it in the United States. And that created a whole different industry where instead of, you know, helping farmers out in the times of drought and stuff like that, we actually pay farmers to overproduce crops so that we have stores in case there's an issue. But doing that created a whole different industry where they had this excess corn. Scientists realized they can convert it into high fructose corn syrup and different sweeteners. And now that is ubiquitous in all American foods. You cannot go anywhere in an American supermarket, pick something off the shelf. One of the first ingredients in these manufactured products, high fructose corn syrup. And it's largely a reason why there's such an obesity problem in the United States. But that's a separate issue. But again, the, the, the emissions and stuff related to corn crops is rolled into this study because of that reason that uh, so much of corn goes to animal feed. Now, meat is absolutely, though, the biggest source of these deadly emissions. And, um, you know, meat is uh, the, uh, as far as the source is concerned, it's twice the amount of eggs, three times the amount of dairy, and the emissions and the pollution is 15 times higher than all fruits and vegetables. So there's been a, a massive failure in America to regulate this stuff. Now, ammonia is so reactive, so it's hard to detect it unless huge amounts are released all at once. Now, specifically in this Duplin County, this is the area of North Carolina, sort of hog central. Um, when the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality agreed to monitor air pollution as part of a settlement, um, it found that it found just five instances of elevated ammonia and none, excuse me, were high enough to trigger federal action. But the problem with their monitoring, the environment department intentionally put its monitoring stations far from the hog farms, even though almost all the Duplin County residents live within three miles of at least one of these operations. So even the regulators are dropping the ball and failing. And I don't know if that's a, a corruption issue or a failure on their part, 
uh, because of the immense pressure of this of this lobby to do such a crappy study uh, and so clearly flawed. But yeah, they they intentionally put the stations far away. So obviously they're not going to get the the measurements and the readings that are accurate with what these people are experiencing in their daily lives. But uh, a 2018 study by researchers at Duke University found that the mortality rates in North Carolina communities associated with these hog farms were 30% higher than the rest of the state. So again, that's just one individual study, but it looks pretty damning. And again, if you just think logically in your head, uh, how would you like to be living near one of these big, massive shit lagoons and, uh, and massive pig farms? You know, think about it for two seconds and you, you could, you know, imagine the consequences. Uh, another um, a big area is uh, California's uh, San Joaquin Valley. So that has massive agriculture uh, ammonia pollution. And again, I could uh, attest to that, to driving through this area. There's like a thick gray haze just hanging in the air constantly. And that San Joaquin Valley has the highest rate of childhood asthma in the United States. And that's according to the American Lung Association. So again, just further evidence. And the thing is, in with California, lots of regulations in California, you know, there's plenty of it for car pollution. Uh, and smokestacks, but nothing really to decrease the emissions from farms. Again, this is skating under the radar. Now, uh, well, what can be done? You know, we've heard a lot about this, but, but what can be done about it? Well, instead of leaving the waste to decompose in the lagoons, you know, farmers can incorporate it into the soil as fertilizer, which is basically the way we've done things for thousands of years, if you think about it. This is only in this large, weird, industrial, um, uh, you know, high-scale format have we done it in this way. But generally, animal waste was always recycled back into the, uh, into the land. They could, if they're still going to use these lagoons, they can at least cover them, which, you know, is logical. They could separate the urine from the feces. They can control the acidity and the temperature. That would also reduce ammonia uh, emissions. And all that can happen through federal legislation if Congress wanted to set new standards of practice. So that's up to, you know, if you're listening in America, that's up to your lawmakers. Um, and you need to put pressure on them in order to, to create this legislation. They could use more targeted fertilizer applications. They could reduce the tilling and the burning of waste. They can make farm equipment itself more green. Again, this is it's not just about people driving around in Teslas. Imagine all the farm equipment instead of running on diesel fumes, if they could make, uh, you know, solar powered electric, you know, farming equipment, that in and of itself would help reduce this. But what it says in the study, again, which this came out and was published in the Washington Post, the greatest change is in the consumer, is in you and me. If, if Americans, for example, just Americans alone, wanted to switch to what they're calling a flexitarian diet, you know, getting at least half your calories from fruits and vegetables and getting animal protein, maybe just a few meals a week, air pollution from agriculture would fall 68% if we just did that and made different choices. And, you know, research suggests that if we reduce meat consumption, uh, you know, globally, it could reduce global mortality six to 10%, which pre would prevent hundreds of thousands of deaths around the world. Now, this was a pretty staggering uh, statistic, which I found and, and didn't realize, is that 
30% of Earth's ice-free land, aka land we could actually use and walk on, 30% of Earth's land is used for pasture for livestock. And red, red meat requires more water and carbon than any other food. So we're just living in an unsustainable manner or the demand or whatever we're, we're doing is just it's not working for, for the health of the planet and for our own health. But if people like me, guilty as charged, if we can re limit our intake of burgers to just one or two a week, we could avoid about 5.5 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions a year. And as a, a frame of reference, that's about twice the annual emissions coming from India. And again, like I started the beginning of this podcast, India is outrageous with pollution. Now, I never on my trip, I never wound up getting sick from gastro, but I did have a basically a, a constant sinus infection. It wasn't a full blown. It was just the pollution was so bad that the entire time I was there, I had a sore throat. I was blowing my nose with all kinds of gr gross junk coming out. And it was just from the pollution. And that's not just from the cars and buses and, and everything else, but again, from the air pollution, from you know burning waste and, and all this other kind of stuff. So imagine twice the emissions of India. If all we have to do is, is drop down to one or two burgers a week. And I think that's manageable myself. Um, you know, I just need to be more disciplined in doing it. And the thing is, is that as time goes on, more and more of these plant-based foods and plant-based companies are doing better at creating these, uh, these foods. A buddy of mine right now, he started his own company called The Butcher. He's a vegan butcher. And the thing that's always, you know, put me off about these plant-based foods is that I like things that are a little bit more natural. You know, I'd rather eat a hamburger from a cow that I know it's, you know, grown or I've never grown, excuse me, that the cow, uh, you know, was raised and, and eating grass five miles from my house and then slaughtered and then put on a plate rather than I look at the labels of some of these plant-based foods and there's all kinds of ingredients I can't pronounce. I don't know what the hell this is. And it just seems just super artificial. Whereas my buddy's company, who's just started out. So if you're in Australia, keep an eye out for the butcher. Um, he, all of his ingredients are natural and normal, like stuff, you, anything from, he's a chef. So it's stuff just from the kitchen. There's no crazy stuff in there. And it tastes good. He's got a, a, a vegan, essentially bacon. That's very, very close to the real thing. Not entirely. There's just something, you know, special about you have a, a tasty hamburger, a taste a crispy bacon. I fully admit, again, I'm, I'm a, a diehard carnivore. But if I had to make changes, I'd be fine with with shifting to this some of stuff, some of these things. So that that becomes the question. Culturally, do we need to stop eating meat or at least reduce it? You know, when you think about the pollution, greenhouse gases, climate change, our health. But the thing is, it's, it's now thinking about the health of other people. Now, it's not just about if you eat a hamburger, it's not a, a guilt-free you know, uh, thing just for you. Your hamburger is actually affecting someone else in a community somewhere that you choosing to make that purchase, it's not just about you, it's about someone else. And I harp on a lot about when I speak about COVID, about how it's the disease of selfishness and we have to look out for other people getting vaccinated, that sort of thing. Now we got to think about other people and what we choose to eat. And, uh, and that's hugely important. And I can't be a hypocrite. I got to stick to that, that, uh, if, 
if I'm thinking that way, I need to start thinking about my dietary choices affecting other people. And, um, you know, but there, there always, there's always talk from the other side. You know, there's always going to be pushback. The beef and cattle lobby just pointing to this study, for example, you know, they push back on the, the methods and the models and it is just one study. And of course, they have a vested interest in people continuing to eat meat. And, you know, you got to take all these things with a little bit of a, a grain of salt because some of the, the studies that do come out that are very hardcore pro-vegan they do skew some of this data. As an example, they'll they'll talk about, oh, if you just switch to a salad rather than eating a steak, it would reduce emissions by X number. But what they fail to take into account is that if I eat a steak, I'm going to be full for a while. Whereas if I eat a plate of salad, I'm going to be hungry again in about 10 minutes. So it's not just a, a plate for plate. You have to account for, I'd probably have to eat about four times the amount of salad to get the same full feeling as a steak. So when you do see studies, try to analyze them and, and pick them apart. Um, and, you know, there, there's other things with, again, I've always had sort of a primal urge to just sort of eat meat, but it, um, you know, we do eat differently than, than we used to thousands of years ago. There's a, there's an interesting podcast on, uh, you know, it's funny. It's, it's a guest on Joe Rogan, which is Dr. Paul Saladino. And again, I just wrote off Joe Rogan last week about, uh, you know, vaccines and saying people don't need to get vaccinated, but it was actually an interesting chat. So this guy, Dr. Paul Saladino, he is a promoter of the carnivore diet and he's got a health supplement where he, he gets sort of beef organ meat and creates them into supplements. And they, he says, and the argument they say from this other side is not that eating meat is necessarily so bad. It's this industrial way in which we're eating meat that maybe we need to rethink this, these large scale operations and decentralize things, get back to raising uh, cattle rather than these factory farms on, you know, grass fed normal agriculture that we've done for thousands of years. Maybe if we shifted to that, it would reduce emissions and it would be more in line with, uh, with nature. But uh, again, and this is just, now I'm just going on tangents, but that's fine. Maybe you've got a long drive uh, or you're stuck at work and you need something to listen to. But the problem with the carnivore diet and a lot of these diets that come out now is people say, oh, I eat paleo or I eat this. The problem is, is that we're not living like uh, paleolithic people. We're not living like that because we're not exercising the way that these people did. So for people to go for this all meat sort of diet or eating organ meat, you have to remember that that's the rule number one. You can't just switch to a carnivore diet and just eat meat. Our ancestors ate the entire animal. They ate the liver, the kidneys, the heart was a prized part in the kill. And indigenous tribes and stuff around the world still uh, eat this way. And but also our ancient ancestors were walking, jogging and running all day to track an animal and to kill it. So we, you can't shift to a paleo diet and then think that you're living like a paleo lifestyle unless you're running 20, 30, 40 Ks every single day and then shifting to a meat based diet and an organ meat based diet, you're not living uh, according to the standard. But you know, it's an interesting concept as well.
But the idea of these more decentralized farms rather than these large scale operations could be a way for people to meet in the middle. You don't want to give up meat entirely, but you don't also want to cause air pollution and all these other kind of crazy uh, things that maybe instead of one giant farm in an area, you have thousands and thousands of tiny, more sustainable farms. Again, going back to a, a different way of living, a different way of looking at the world and feeding the world is that the way that we've done it is incorrect. Maybe there's a way in which we can still eat meat and we can still reduce um, these excess deaths. You know, that doesn't need to be these hardcore extremes. You're either a pro-meat, I exclusively eat that, or I'm a hardcore vegan. There's got to be some way that we can all meet in the middle. And I thought about this quite a bit during the, uh, the beginning of the pandemic when cities were really sort of shut down and people started to move out to the country. And I thought about how if this pandemic continued to, to, to go on, uh, you know, just ravaged and, and completely uh, untethered, what would happen if you had these large abandoned cities and then everyone went out to the country? And originally I thought, well, imagine they turned these urban landscapes into vertical farms and use that to produce with the latest technology, LED lights and everything else to do a lot of the farming. And people were living remotely uh, in these decentralized communities. The same concept could happen with, with farms. You know, if people are looking for different lines of work, again, this is now we're getting into real futurist type tangents, but whatever, it's, it's nice to think about. What if in the future with all this artificial intelligence and jobs being replaced, if so much stuff is automated through AI, what if more and more people got back to a, almost a primitive way of, of living, but more sustainable? Imagine everybody, or not everybody, but you know, more groups of people were had small sustainable farms to feed small sustainable communities. And instead of doing these industrial mass scale things run by large corporations, it was returned back to everyday people. And we have this sort of cyclical history where the way that we used to do things 150 years ago comes comes around full circle. And it's a way that's more uh, harmonious with nature and uh, less pollution, less, um, yeah, less uh, unequal distribution, more uh, egalitarian economies. It's, it's just something to think about. So, um, you know. I'm going to take this and this study and I'm going to try and maybe implement this into my everyday life. You know, there's nothing that says that I have to eat meat every single day. I've always said it because I don't know the science behind getting the proper nutrition. And I, and I want to because science does tell us that you can shift to a vegan diet and get the exact uh, complement or complementary, you know, nutrients as someone who eats meat, but you need to know the science behind it. And if you're not taking supplements and if you're not doing things according to the science, you will be malnourished. That's a fact. But there's a lot of books out there and a lot of authors and different people that can actually help to promote the, the science. Um, I still want to read it, but it's really funny. John Joseph, who's a singer of the Cro-Mags, he's got a book called uh, Meat is for Pussies, which is a very provocative title. But he's been vegan for a long time now. And this is a guy who's an Ironman, extremely fit. 
Scott Jurek is one of the top ultra marathon runners uh, in the world. He's on a vegan diet. So, and it's funny how a lot of indigenous cultures know how to combine, for example, foods to create perfect proteins. That's the thing is if you, a lot of people like me will eat meat for the protein and you want to get all nine amino acids to have a full complete protein. And a lot of times if you just eat vegetables, you don't get that. And so in a sense, you're, you're, you're depriving your body, your brain, your tissues of what it needs. And a lot, a lot I think largely why I uh, always seem to feel weak and tired when I try and go vegetarian. But it's funny how indigenous cultures learned, not even realizing that combining certain foods creates it. I think it's, you know, down in, in Mexico and a lot of, you know, Latin American um, countries. I think if you combine rice and beans and cheese or rice and beans and something else, can't remember, those three together create or combine all nine amino acids. So even though it's vegetarian, it's a complete protein. So there are scientific ways to do it. And we just need to learn. I personally just need to learn. If, if, if I could, if I could snap my fingers, I would have just a personal nutritionist say, write me out everything that I need to do. And I, I could shift to a, a more vegetarian or a vegan diet, but I lack the knowledge and the science. But we can all try and at least cut down. And that's where I'm going to try and start is to slowly wean myself down, maybe just try and have meat a few times a week and shift to these plant-based alternatives, which are doing really well with their nutritional components. So, you know, it's uh, a lot to think about. Very interesting. But again, now this is the new thing is uh, starting to think about, yeah, other people other than ourselves. And that should be the theme really of most of this podcast in general is to, to think on a deeper level about a lot of things, but also think not just about ourselves and our own choices, but how they affect the, the communities around us and just gaining a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of insight, something that we can share with other people. And one of them is meat. It may be a thing of the past. So let's just come to terms with that. And I think a lot of uh, cows would be happy to hear it.